we sure do appreciate our students so very much. Thank you guys, and uh, um, continue when you folks see them moving around and all uh, in the community or here at, on a Sunday. Um, be encouraging them and praying for them. It's not an easy task that they have uh, at their school campus. Um, in some cases, even in, at home for them. It's a challenging time, and we want to uh, be a great uh, support to them here at Parkside. So, very good. Okay, we get to move on to chapter 3 in James. All right? So, in, in this uh, moment, you have uh, an opening assignment. You ready? Everyone looking here. Open your mouth and stick out your tongue and say, ah. Oh, come on. You guys, some of you didn't even do that. How are we going to check our tongues if you don't do that? Now, it's really gross, I realize. So I didn't ask you to turn to one another to do it. I just, it, it, it really is. It's, it's a gross kind of a thing. But, you know, this is what uh, James does with us here today in this passage. He's going to give us the believer's tongue test. And yes, it is very uncomfortable. Seriously. And many of you are aware of what we're going into in this study. And, um, but it is interesting. Certain health experts claim that by looking at your tongue, they can tell the condition of your health. Right, nurses? <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the coding... And the color and the shape of your tongue tells them uh, a number of things that, you know, they, you know, figure out regarding your digestive system or maybe it's your vitamin deficiency. I don't know it all. Uh, I'm not a nurse or whatever, a doctor, but they, they're able to do some of that. And, um, so it, it really serves as, uh, the tongue. Now we're shifting here from physical to spiritual. The tongue certainly does uh, serve as a barometer of your heart. Okay? So, um, Jesus said it himself in Matthew 12, 34, where he says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And uh, in James chapter 3 here this morning, we are really confronted with James' instruction regarding the use and the abuse of the tongue. And so we start off uh, in, with our outline. And um, before I, I, we do that, I want to just mention a, a quote from Washington Irving. Uh, Washington Irving, or Irving. Uh, he says, A sharp tongue is the only edged tool that grows sharper with constant use. Very true. So, uh, we, we look at James chapter 3, and in verse 1 it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, here in verse 1 and 2, James starts out with a, uh, in your outline if you want to follow along, point number 1, the prescriptive warning about teaching. The prescriptive warning about teaching. 
Teaching is one of the core foundations of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the like one of the main lifelines of the church. And thus, here we are. Here's a time of teaching. Uh, earlier, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, there's a time of uh, teaching here in the overflow and in the fellowship hall that's more engaging with the people in the class. On uh, Monday morning, there's a ladies' Bible study. Monday night, a men's Bible study. And all throughout the week, here are Bible studies that we have that are about teaching the Word of God. And so, uh, based on verse 1, we see that uh, it seems like J- what James is saying underneath the surface is there's too many attempting to teach. And so, letter A, I, I, I believe he's just simply elaborating on missing the mark under James chapter 2, verse 14. Go back there. James chapter 2, 14. What does it say? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says... He has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? So it's an interesting, what I believe is an interesting connection from this concern. People say they have faith. We all say, most of, most all of us, we say we have faith. But the concern there in that passage is about what? Not just being able to say you have faith, but to say it and live it. Okay, And so I think he's really getting into this idea. Hey, we all tend to have a better better talk than we have a better walk. That's the tendency. I'm not saying that's the blanket statement uh, uh, for everyone. But I know in my life, I can sure have a good talk. But when it comes to a walk, how's, how's it really going for me? How's it really going for you? Okay. So the early church was a very exciting period for believers. So many, so many conversions going on. And it's like, oh, well, along with their upbringing, they grew up uh, learning about being in the synagogue. And there's dialogue there. Uh, men being encouraged to share and to speak. Um, and it carries over into the new church phenomenon that's happening in, from Acts chapter 2 and on. Young believers, very excited. And human nature can really kick in easy. Hey, I think I should be a teacher. I think I can teach. And so James is saying, let not many of you. It's a command here in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Why is that? Well, there's a number, number, uh, letter B under number one here is that he's really echoing a New Testament message that Jesus talked about. His concern over, um, how the Pharisees were teaching. And then throughout the New Testament epistles, there's constant, it seems like constant warning about who? False teaching. False teaching. Be, again, it just seems like we, we don't have videotaping of it or YouTube uh, clips of it. But back in the early church times, you know, there's a great deal of teachers traveling around, itinerant teachers going about and peddling their ware, you know, sharing what they knew. And the New Testament has uh, many, many 
references about false teaching. And so it's a great concern. And in the New Testament, by the way, there's very strong language given towards this issue. Think of this. If you just want to mark it down in Titus chapter 1, Titus is, or Paul is writing to Titus about rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced. You know, you don't read that like, oh, they, they should be silenced. No, he, he's coming forth in a powerful way. They must be silenced. And so the, the issue of the church, you know, you, you, you connect this idea of the, the, the warnings about false teaching and you're thinking, this is serious. And the reason is, at that time, did they have a copy of what you hold in your hand? No, they didn't. So, hey, I can show up at a church and, uh, hey, I'll, I'll tell them my version. It might be false teaching. You know, we, we need to understand that God has given us His Word. Here's the truth. And Jesus said, Thy Word is, what? Truth. Sanctify them in the truth. And so it's very important that we understand, here's this warning about, don't let not many of you become teachers. Okay? And then let us see, it really is, it's, it's about exemplifying spiritual maturity. Exemplifying spiritual maturity. And that's what James is implying here, if you look at it. He says, for, in verse 2, look at it. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. It sounds like he's saying... You mature in your faith and, and you can start bri- learning about bridling the tongue. Now, when the word perfect comes up, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I don't match that. Right. Neither do I. None of us are perfect in the sense of what we t- typically think of the word perfect. But most of us, being in the word, we understand perfect is not talking about sinlessness. Perfect is talking about what? Maturing, growing, being complete, okay? Being whole. All that kind of uh, language goes with that idea of being uh, a perfect man. But so James is, it's like he's leaving the door open saying, you know, um, those that bridle their tongue, you know, they, they demonstrate self-discipline. They exercise self-control. And because people learn and apply verses like this, like this one, Proverbs 21-23, where it says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. And Proverbs is full of those kind of verses. People, we as, as God's people, we can be learning to grow and speak blessing and speak life from this little instrument inside your mouth. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. 
like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Language is talked about a lot, a whole lot. Okay? Now, another critical uh, element to this maturing is that they better be holding to a high view of Scripture. It's not just getting to know Scriptures and memorizing them. It's having a high view of Scripture. We all need to be challenged in that regard. How is my view, how is your view of Scripture? Is it just our, our medicine book? Hmm, what do I need today? Or is it God's Word? Is it the truth of God's Word? And do we hold it in high esteem? And again, I realize I'm, you know, we're talking to the choir here as we say. Most of you understand this, but we need to say it again. Along with saying, you want to grow spiritually? Well, it starts with the Word of God. I, I'm sorry, back up a step. It starts with having a right relationship with God. Then here's, here's the relationship of the Word of God in your life. There needs to be a high view of Scripture, not just a theory that we have, not just the right answer on the test that we have, but an outlook on life that goes through the lens of Scripture that it will bear fruit in your life, that it will bring about change in your life. And here today, we're talking about change with your tongue. Now, we go on to point number two. In, in his particular warning about the tongue, okay? In his, in, it, it's a particular warning now regarding the tongue. It goes from general uh, kind of uh, prescriptive warning about, about teaching. Don't let many of you become teachers now to the particular warning about the tongue. And James must have learned from his half-brother, Jesus, about these word pictures. I really believe it. You, you read chapter 3 and it, it, James is just... Boom, here's another word picture. Another word picture. Here's another one. Let me give you another one. And I think, you know, that, that seems like he must have... You know, he and his half-brother Jesus, you know, understanding this idea of a good word picture teaches lessons. And so, I want to bring this out now, un- kind of unpack it. The particular warning about the tongue goes from verse 3 all the way to verse 12. And so, letter A, we're just going to look at what are the characteristics of this tongue. Well, number one, letter A, under number two, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> it's influential nature. The influential nature of the tongue. Look at verse 3. He jumps right into it. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They, Though they are also so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Okay? So... This is really getting at the influential nature of the tongue. The horse and the bit. With that bit, we direct... How big is a bit, you horse people? They vary. There, field goal time, whatever that is. Yeah, but... So, but it's a little thing. Okay, we, we get that. 
That's the, the, the uh, effect of his word picture. With that bit, we, in, we direct their entire body, the entire body of a horse. So, yeah, I'm not used to being around horses, so I want to get out of their way. They're big, they're strong. Who knows what they're going to do? I don't want to get kicked or whatever else, right? But he's saying, here's this big creature, a big, strong creature with its own will. You put a bit in his mouth, you can direct their entire body. And then the ship and the rudder. It's a huge vessel he's referring to. They're, they're great. Great in size, driven by strong winds and directed by a very small rudder. So the two illustrations are highlighting the idea of control and direction of a large, powerful horse or a large or huge vessel, ocean-faring vessel. And they're directed about by small little tools. And so it is with man, with woman, with students and children, and their tongue. It's a small little muscle in your mouth. And yet it controls and directs the course of one's life. And so the tongue, though very small, has huge implications, huge influence. Listen to Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. So, it's very influential. Letter B, it's very irrepressible in its nature. Irrepressible. It goes on in verse 5. What does it say there? So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining or defiling the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So, now he gets into it, and it's, again, very sobering, very serious. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Now, who's he talking to? Who's he, he, he's got to be writing to the pagans, right? No. He's writing to... The believers. So, when you and I hear this, the tongue is a fire and it's a world of unrighteousness, don't you, or don't me, go off thinking, ah, no, I don't really have that problem. Don't you think that. Young people, don't you think that. We've got a problem. Now, most of us understand the problem isn't necessarily my tongue. What's the problem? It's your heart. It's your heart. And the heart is directly connected to the tongue. Okay? So, under this, under these verses 5 through 8, what we see then is that we see that the, that the idea of the tongue being a fire, what does that bring forth? It's the idea that it's uncontrolled. Some of you 
are um, you you've been involved in firefighting in, in at the Navy base or here in town, and you understand you know some of you have had a fire go loose in the backyard and it went out of what out of control, and that's the idea. It's uncontrolled, an unattended fire. It doesn't take long, and it's out of control. That's what he says here. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame. There it goes. How are you going to stop that now? But the the idea, you know, we get this picture in our mind about a, a blazing fire. We see it from the helicopters and planes that that take videos of it. And yet, he's not talking about a fire. He's talking about your tongue. (laughs) And he says, next, it's untamable, uncontrollable, untamable. He's saying in verses 7 and 8, hey, all sorts of animals have been tamed except for your tongue. You, man, cannot tame his own tongue. And then he gets on to the next section and we see that it's unrelenting. It's unrelenting in its characteristic. Where do we leave? Okay, no, verse 8, but no, uh, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a, what does it say there? Verse 8, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Not, it's got deadly poison, full of deadly poison. That's it's, there, there you go. And along with this, we need to say it's not just unrelenting in its nature, but it's unfit. It's unclean. It's unsanctified. And it really brings forth this doctrinal statement that we need to hold a hold to and that is this man's total depravity because the same kind of language that's used here in James 3 is used also in Romans chapter 3 now in Romans chapter 3 Paul is talking about the the pagans and everyone because everyone has their uh you know some of the things that he says in Romans 3 it's he says you've got the poison of of um uh, snakes on your lips. Okay? Um, the idea of... Well, let's... I tell you what. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 3. And it's verses 10 through 18. Romans chapter 3. In verse 10, he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Okay? So that's the language that is being used in describing... Here's the condition of man before God. There's a total inability to please God on your own. So, letter 2B, it's irrepressible in its nature. It's uncontrolled, 
It's untamable. It's unrelenting. These, these are very strong terms. Now listen, let's take a moment and think. Many of you have gone through it yourselves and you maybe even, you know, it's knowing of others that deal with this. At the home, problems start. And what does the enemy of God want to do? He wants to break up relationships. And how does it happen? Many times it's through your words, your, your conversation back and forth with your spouse, with your children, with your relatives. And, and it, it just goes like a, what? Like a fire. People say things that they regret. And then something's said back to them. And then it's like, okay, gloves are off. Here we go. And here's more and more words that just end up hurting and doing great, great damage. Husbands and wives. Arguments escalate. One more word. One more statement. One more, just a, oh, but. All, all sorts of things come to mind. And it just tends to make it worse. The tongue is a fire. It's set on, it sets the course of one's life on fire and it is itself set on fire by hell. What does he mean there? What is he getting at? Well, one thing we can know, believe it, hell is at work in one way or another. Hell is at work. When someone, uh, when someone's tongue persists in burning somebody else with another statement and, and just hitting them with something else, just, just trying to destroy someone's reputation, all sorts of things come to mind. It's all because the tongue is unbridled. And it's the power of the adversary of our souls, Satan, What does he want to do? He doesn't want to get into it at all other than what? Let's just fan this flame. Let's fan the flame. And the flame is from hell. See, the idea of satanic oppression or whatever or Satan's influence or all this, you know, and this this statement here, set on fire by hell. Uh, what comes to our mind? It's like it's got to be some demonic, terrible atmosphere or whatever. Hey, it can happen in your home. The, the fires of hell can get burning and kindling at your home, in your relationship. And it's not just for, you know, ungodly pagan people that Satan's going to go after. Come on. They're in his camp already. They're in darkness. They don't understand. They have no understanding of light. And so who's he going to attack? He'll, he'll attack you with this idea. Well, we've got to be on the alert. It, it, you know, another thing that I keep thinking is it, it, you know, it's not like Satan has to do a whole lot to trip me up and make me stumble because of my own old nature, my old flesh that gets in the way. And so thus the importance here is to combat this with the Word of God. Listen to this. Listen to this. If you want to, just close your eyes and just listen. Listen. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. 
but only such a word as is good for building up according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Husbands, do you know you can give grace every day by how you talk? You can give grace as long as it's connected to the Word of God. Okay? You know, so we come to understand a verse like Galatians 5.15 a little bit better where Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, what does he mean there? If you bite and devour one another? Yeah, with your words. Take care lest you be consumed by one another. Again, he's talking to believers. Don't bite and devour one another with your words. I used to think cursing was the worst form of misusing our tongue. Because in my days before knowing the Lord, I jumped in with the whole whole bunch of guys, you know, yeah. Every other word, you know, one of my coaches, every other word. I'm not exaggerating that. And so I'm in, I'm part of the party. Just swear up and down. If you don't like someone, you know, let them have it. Now, Christians don't do that. And see, we know Christians do do that. Not on that type of uh, uh, intensity. But Christians do. Let it come. Here it comes. I'm going to let you have it. Because I'm mad. I'm My rights were violated. Whatever. But we need to think in terms of any kind of verbal abuse is just, it's very similar. Cursing is bad. I don't want my kids or my grandkids to start cursing. I don't want anyone in the church to start cursing. But it's not just cursing. It's about angry outbursts. It's about blasphemy. It's about taking the name of the Lord in vain. Your tongue is, is unbridled. It's about gossip. And this is one of the, the nice sins that we just kind of let go. We don't, we don't really deal with it. We just let it go. But gossip can kill a church. How are you going to help us build a church? If you know of gossip going on, what do you do? You run to the pastor? And the pastor saves the day? No. You better know the word. You better know how you respond to gossip. All sorts of things go on in the life of a church, and ours is no different. We can have things going on where things get said or things don't get said. And we, we have problems. And so, it all comes from this thing of James saying, it gets set on fire by hell. Hateful, perverse words, corrupt words, they hurt, don't they? How many of you have not been hurt by anyone else's words? Everyone has, you know, maybe some of you young people have yet to be hurt by words, but we get hurt by words. 
Now, we have to understand, some of them are good. They're medicine for us. They're important for us to hear. Will we accept them in a, in a godly, wise, humble way? Or discern that, no, that, that's just, that's just outright corrupt, perverse, hateful words. I'm, I'm gonna flush that down the toilet. That, that's done. I'm done with that. So, be alert in this way. Here's an anonymous poem that I came across in my preparation. It says this, Only a word of anger, but it wounded one's sensitive heart. Only a word of sharp reproach, but it made the teardrops start. Only a hasty, thoughtless word, sarcastic and unkind, but it darkened the day before so bright. It sure left a sting behind. And again, it's not always negative. And that's, I believe James is, is not just being 100% negative on the tongue. He's not. Let me finish off number, point number two here. And it's this. Letter C, the nature of, of the tongue is inconsistent. Inconsistent. Verses 9 through 12. Look at it. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Okay? So there's an incriminating hypocrisy on the part of God's people. Again, this is to Christians. It's being able to bless God, praise God, on a Sunday morning, and then turn around and in one fashion or another, at one level or another, curse who God has made. And it might not even be directed at the person. It might just be my, here's my comment, my running commentary. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. That's what James says. But then he goes on to talk about the display of one's true heart condition. In verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Or bitter water? Or verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. You... You know, we, we get the, the point of what his word picture brings forth. He's trying to get at the point of saying what you, what you actually do, you, you can say you bless God, you praise God, and yet you curse a brother. That works totally contrary to nature. Here's the, here's the trees that produce, you know, an apple tree producing apples, fig tree produces figs, etc. So we come down to it where it says, or where we need to say to each other, what's the fruit of your lips? What is the fruit of your tongue, if you will? And so we close with this, point number three, the preeminent warning. It's always there. It always needs to be there. As long as we're on this earth, in this life, it's the warning about the tongue tamer. The tongue tamer. <laughs> the one that can bridle his own tongue, remember? 
back in verse 2. Where we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone stumbles, does not stumble in what he says, he is a, what? He's a perfect man, mature man. Now, let's take this another step up. You know who the tongue tamer is? It's Jesus. And he is the perfect man. And you cannot control your tongue unless you go surrender to him. You've got to surrender. If you've got a problem with what you're saying at work, at home, at night, apart from a Sunday morning, if you've got problems with your tongue and what you're saying, and it doesn't have to be, again, don't think it's got it. Well, I don't curse. I don't swear. We're not talking just those things. We're talking about the whole gamut of it. Okay? Then it needs to come back to this. Let's uh, start from letter or 3A in your outline. What will not work is self-reformation. In other words, you've heard it before. You can go to the bookstore and find a how-to book. Right? How to... Uh, have clean language. And you could memorize it. You could go write your own book and still you would have problems. Why? The heart is not changed. Your heart is not changed. You can paint the, the barn, right? Just painting up the barn doesn't do any good on what's on the inside. That's what Jesus has come to do. So what will work? Self-renunciation. Self-renunciation. You know, we're in such a comfortable, you know, world of, uh, you know, you can do it. You can do it. You can do all these things. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must try harder. What does it say? If you don't know what it says, you need to know what it says. You need to know, Luke 9.23 If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and come follow me. So, self-reformation is not going to do you much good. Self-renunciation with the Lord. Self-denial. Self-sacrifice with Him. He's the one. Because letter B, under number three, Christ is the perfect man. He is the perfect man of James chapter three, verse two. No one can bridle the tongue. Listen to this. Get this. Old Testament rundown. Job could not do it. Abraham could not do it. Moses could not do it. David could not do it. Solomon couldn't do it. Isaiah said what? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Before a holy God. And our, really one of our favorites, Peter. Peter could not do it. The servant girl came to Peter that night, said, you were with him too, weren't you? But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know who you are talking about. Later, another servant girl said, this man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later again, uh, it happened again. Bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. 
And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know that man. So, in maybe not in a as broad of way as Peter, I know I've been there. I have, I've not uh, done my best in, in professing faith in Christ as I should. I'm not saying I've denied Him, but I'm saying I have struggles with that. Do you? You have struggles with what you're saying in a frustrating moment? Do you have, you know, the struggles at home with your spouse, with your kids, and you say something and you regret it? Yeah. Just remember, Jesus did it. He, He was the one. He's the perfect man. And my friend, if you will surrender and submit to His way, He is the one. And just mark this down. I think it's in the outline. Um, Isaiah 50. It says, the Lord... This is in the Old Testament, referring to Jesus. The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Jesus will sustain you, my friend. He knows how to sustain you, to uphold you with His what? His Word. Are you spending time in His Word? Are you letting Him minister to you in that way? And then 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about Christ, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. I wonder if, you know, if it was added up, the times of deceit that was found in your mouth or my mouth. But Jesus had none. So, all sorts of different admonitions for us. But listen, I want to encourage you to stop and think, what are the negative stuff that I have a habit with, a a problem with in in what I say, in in kind of category-wise? Is it gossip? Is it cursing, swearing, taking the Lord's name in vain? Mark it on a list. Make a list. Say, here's the bad stuff. I want to, I want to get away from that. And then make a list of the, the positive things that Scripture gives you. What positive things are there to use your tongue with? Well, we do it here at church. Sing a song. You could sing a song. When you are pressured, you could bring up your memory verse, James 1.25. And respond with the Word of God. You could bring forth praises and thanksgiving with your words. But what's our tendency? To go from my own resource. What's in my well? What's in your well? What comes forth when you get squeezed? Cursing or praises? So let's, let's, let's get going on this and encouraging one another and and even say you know maybe there's someone i can be accountable with on what i'm saying and what i and my words you know you don't it's not a matter of coming up front and confessing in front of everyone i have a problem with cursing or gossip or whatever but maybe you have a friend that you can go to and say hey can you hold me accountable in this way i'd really appreciate it i want to help you too What is the fruit of your lips? 
What does your tongue reveal about your heart? Let's stand together and wrap up with a word of prayer. If you would just bow right now in prayer. I'm going to read a couple of things and then we'll close in prayer. Psalm 141, verse 3. Dear Lord, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we give You praise. There is no one like You. You rule and reign supremely. And You love us amazingly. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to us in Christ. Lord, may we be a people that are quick to bring uh, forth praise and thanksgiving from our lips. But not just that. Help us, Lord, to be speaking truth to one another in love. Help us to capitalize on these things that we've been um, rescued to do. We've been freed up from the chains of sin and from a a rebellious tongue, a, a corrupt tongue. And may we be a people that grow more and more to hold forth the the value of Scripture in our lives. And then to share that with others in not only our words, but in our deeds and our actions. God, thank You that we can build one another up. That we can complement one another instead of flatter one another. Please help us, dear Lord, to grow in these ways. Thank You for this section in James that challenges us And we thank you, Lord, for the work that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.